I was um, defensive MVP that year. I was uh, newlywed. We were getting ready to have our first child. I had uh, just ne negotiated a, a contract. Um, I mean, I, I should have been riding high, but it was the lowest point of my life. So I had all this stuff in my hands, all this stuff that I had my hands wrapped around, and it was wrapped around me, and I went and I looked in the mirror and I asked the Lord, <laughs> Lord, can you use me? Can you use this man? And the challenge came back for me to have the courage. Do you have the courage to put down your stuff? And if I can do that, then I got a chance to do something very special with my life. Welcome everybody, welcome Mike, welcome Orland Park, Homer Glenn, New Lenox online. Welcome, welcome, we're glad to have you here. Um, I, and look, I just wanna set the record straight, there's some rumors flying around um, about, about me, not you. Uh, involving steroid use, and I, I just, I, I just want to, I just want to. I know you look at me and you're like, "Huh, maybe," but no, it's true. It's all natural, Mike. Really, okay. Just want want you to know that um, we're having a good time this weekend, you guys. I mean, um, fun stuff. Uh, let's talk bears first of all, because I mean, that's you know, you are a TV star now, and really, I mean, if you haven't seen the show Beyond the Edge on CBS. Uh, some really cool way for you to be an example for Jesus in this survivor kind of show that's going on, and that's been really fun. But obviously, um, you know, for most of us, you are special because of that uh, amazing run you had with us in the Bears. So tell us some fun stories. Tell us, tell, just tell us the Peyton story. I'm, I want you to tell it every time because it's my favorite. That's really your favorite story? It, well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, because that you know me, that's that's my kind of. I would have done that, but that, that you would have killed me. A lot me. about you. <laughs> well, uh, the, the, the Peyton story. If if you know anything about Walter, he was a prankster. And um, you know, when I first met Walter, I watched him a few days, and and finally, I just uh, I said, uh, Walter, I said, I, I know you're a great player, whatever but I'm not a good guy to do pranks on. I said, please don't do that. And he looked at me like, okay, Mikey, and walked away. Well, after my second year, I had the opportunity to go to the Pro Bowl. So Walter and I are there, and um, it's a very hot day. It's our first practice. And... <laughs> He's over in the corner talking to a couple of the guys that have been there a few years. And uh, I'm the new kid on the block. So he says, hey, uh, uh, Mikey, you got you to get ready, man. We got to go out here. Get, get, get your stuff on. So I get my stuff on, and my, my jock strap, something was a little different with it. But I, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm outside, and I, I go out there early. You know, I'm trying to get my mind right. You know, all these guys, these, these guys that are earned the right to be there, all pros and all that. So I'm out there early, loosening up, warming up, kind of jogging around. And um, 
you know, it starts to get warm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after a while, I'm kind of like, ooh. <laughs> you know, that, that's not a good place to feel like that. <laughs> and so uh, Walter and some of the older guys, they're standing over there laughing at me, and, and uh, I'm, I'm really frustrated and embarrassed and scared at the same time. <laughs> so when practice is over, you know, I, I go in and they're laughing and uh, the trainer says, uh, it's pretty hot out there, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he says, um, just initiation. It's an initiation. So, so that was, perp they did that to me on purpose? <laughs> said, yeah. So I went to Walt. I said, Walt, did you do that? He said, uh, <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't do that, Mike. No. And I said, uh, if I find out it's you, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> but uh, he was that guy. Yep, yep, icy hot, icy hot. Um, so, um, yeah, let's, let's I, I like what we did last time. Let's talk bears, and then we'll go back to childhood a little bit. Um, what was it like on the journey, um, you know, the, the, the whole thing of... Uh, Losing to Miami. Just, just talk, talk, talk the story through with me that year, especially. Well, you know, first of all, the, the, a lot of characters on that team. Um, yeah, you could say that. That's an understatement. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it um, you know, you had. I remember uh, Buddy Ryan. I'm having a conversation with Buddy Ryan, and he says, um, "Mike, you're, you're coming to a place where." You know, I'm depending on you to know the team. How well do you know your teammates? And I'm thinking, I don't know how well I want to get to know some of these guys. <laughs> I mean, you know, on game day, you walk in the locker room and, you know, Steve McMichael is over there banging his head on the wall. Uh, Dan Hampton is, is just screaming at the wall, <laughs> hitting his head on the wall, and, and uh, you know, a <laughs> few guys in there throwing up, stuff like that. And, and then Wilbur Marshall is standing in the middle of the room with a jock strap on, and you can't walk past him. <laughs> Don't cross in front of him. He's like... <laughs> so I didn't think I wanted to know these I guys really that. well. Yeah, I understand but, that. But he had a point, and it was all about leadership. Leadership, yeah. And everybody knew that I wanted to be the best that I could possibly be. I wanted to be uh, a great player. And so Buddy's point was, they know that you want to be great, but what do you know about them? Hmm. And uh, have you taken any of them to breakfast? Have you ever taken any of them to lunch? Have you? Uh, no, sir, I haven't. Well, how about do that? And, and so... Little things like that went a long way toward building our team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a leader, that's one of the things that we have to be able to do is get to know those that we're trying to lead. And so oftentimes, we miss it because we think we know what to do. Mm -hmm. We think we know what they need, and oftentimes we don't. Yeah. Um, you you use the illustration, do it again, like with the dog thing. I mean, that was just so good. You come in, you approach a dog, you got to know how to do that. Well, it, it's, um, I've seen a lot of leaders 
um, try to show their authority before they show their vulnerability. Mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the, the greatest assets that a leader can have is humility. And, uh, you know, too often times as a leader, we come in and we want to show that we know everything, we, we got it all figured out, and, and, you know, like touching that dog when we first meet him, it's kind of like, hey, buddy, you know, and you get a, <laughs> this dog bite? Well, you should have known. Does your dog bite? Yeah, that's the bad thing to do. Mm -hmm. You don't know the dog. Why are you reaching? So it's better to turn my hand and, and just, hey, is it okay, buddy? Is it? That's the difference, and so leadership is a very tricky thing, and, and I think too often times when we're put in leadership positions, we just approach it the wrong way as if we're supposed to know it all instead of really understanding that we just need to put ourselves in a servant mode. Mm. And Buddy and, and eventually Ditka realized that the the player coaches, even though you weren't necessarily called that, but the, the leadership on the team were, was the one that was really going to bring everybody together because they couldn't do it from the outside, right? Well, you know, both of them. I, you know, first of all, Coach Ditka, it was really interesting. He worked harder than anybody I know at trying to communicate. He really did. I mean, I, I remember walking in his office several times, and he's just reading uh, books like How to Talk So They Listen, um, How to Talk So They Understand, yeah. you know, How to Be Loving, those kind of things. And, you know, most time I, I knew he was reading, and I wouldn't knock on the door. I'd just go in the office, and he'd go, hey, what are you? And he'd knock, knock all the books off the desk. So I wouldn't see what he was reading. So, what are you reading there? Oh, don't worry about that. What do you want? Say, well, uh, it's nice that you're reading these books, but they're not helping. <laughs> they're not helping you at all. Nope. Well, at least he cared. Uh, so you get, you get through this season, you're having this amazing season, um, and then Miami happens and take us, take us into the Super Bowl shuffle because that's great. Well, I, you know, there are a lot of people, um, including ourselves, we, we thought that's the worst thing that could have happened. Um, you know, losing that game, man, it really messed up the season, could have had a perfect season, but it was a gift. It really was. Sure. Um, the very next day after losing to Miami, we had to come back and make the Super Bowl shuffle. Um, what a time to record that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after that loss. And, you know, we walked in the room uh, downtown Chicago and, you know, we're bummed. We feel awful. Uh, we're a very immature team. Um, we're the youngest team, youngest team to go to the Super Bowl at that time. And uh, so we came in and, and, and we started recording this song and, and uh, all of a sudden we, we, we're, we're getting our mojo back and we're feeling good about who we are we're also realizing if we don't make it to the Super Bowl and, and you, you make this video in mid-season, <laughs> it's not going to go well. No, no, it is not. Uh, Coach Dicker was very concerned. I can imagine, yeah. You, you guys are making what? Yeah. That, 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 that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> we just lost the game. Uh, uh, Coach, we'll, 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 we'll be okay. 
So, um, but we, we make the video, and by the time we're leaving that day, we're, we're chest bumping everybody, and we're happy again, and we're excited, and it really put us on a very, very fine, fine line road to uh, continue to take steps toward the Super Bowl. You know, if you think about the history of it, you think about how the whole thing went, don't you wonder, like, was that, you know, was that just providence that you would lose the Miami game and then tape that the next day so that you had a dose of reality and then you had this, this situation. And in all of our lives, we kind of get in situations where we're down and then we have to do something. We have to commit to something, to, 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 to something that might even look foolish later on down the road if it doesn't work out. But we've got to decide if we're going to keep going towards that goal that we're going towards. Well, the, the interesting thing about life is anybody, I don't care who they are, I don't care what race they are, I don't care where they come from, um, it doesn't matter. I've not seen anyone do anything great that hasn't had great setbacks. Yes, yes. And I, I really do believe that when we have setbacks, it, it kind of gives us the... Um, that, that awareness of do we really have what it takes to be great? Do we really have what it takes to be worthy of greatness, to, to be worthy of doing something? You know, nine times out of ten, you know, people do things for the first time and they got all these facts about life, you know. I have people, <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of facts. This has never been done. That, that's never happened. Mm-hmm. This is, well, it hasn't happened Yet. Right. It hasn't happened yet. But for someone like me, why, why not me? Why, why, why can't I do something great? Why can't I de- develop a, uh, a legacy plan or a vision statement that can take me where I need to go and, and just follow those steps? Not bite the whole thing at one time, mm. but each day do something working toward that goal that I want to have. Why can't I do that? And if I listen to the facts, then I'm going to miss the truth, the truth about me. Right. And, and I have the opportunity to create my truth and, and not, the, not let the facts yeah. dictate something so, that I may miss. So let's go back and do that then. Let's talk about childhood, um, your, your vision statement, all of that. that. That was super inspiring. Well, I, you know, at 12 years old, uh, my world changed. Uh, I'm the last of 10 kids and the smallest of 10 kids. And that includes my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's sitting right there, she'll tell you. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was tough, you know, growing up. And I can remember my mom and dad arguing and sister and brother arguing, whatever it was. And most of the time there was chaos. And I'm in the other room, and, and you know, I, I, I don't even know how I found these tapes, but I found some Norman Vincent Peale tapes mm-hmm. about visualization and, and what that is and being able to set goals and things like that. And I, I can just remember in the midst of all of the chaos, closing my eyes and putting those headphones on and, and saying, I am great, I'm going to be Great. I'm, I'm, you know, I, t- today, 
Today I'm great, and tomorrow I've got to continue the steps. I've got to continue moving forward toward the, those goals. And, and so little by little, um, in spite of all of the things that were happening around me, um, I was able to become successful. Um, when my dad walked away at 12 years old and my brother Grady was killed in an automobile accident six months later, I had made a decision to just be mediocre. And, and, you know, when you look around in our country, there are a lot of people that have decided to be mediocre yes. because of everything that happened. You don't know what to believe. You don't know what's happening here. You don't know what to think. So you just say, you know what, I'm just going to make it through. But my challenge to you is to not do that. Yes. Because there may be someone in this room that you are the very key that God has to figure this out. And you'll settle and be mediocre like everybody else just to fit in. And so for me that day, when my mom challenged me and told me that there was greatness in me, and that when, she said, when you fall flat on your face, get up, son. Get up and, and get back in that ring, dust yourself off, and keep swinging. She said, that is the thing that life is all about. And then she asked me if I could become the man of the house. At age 12. At age 12. And, and so I'm thinking, this is a bad choice, mom. <laughs> I mean, I've already made up my mind. I got some sisters that could be the man of the house. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I said, Mom, I can do that. And that's when I walked in my room, and I got out a sheet of paper, and I wrote out my vision statement. Find a way to get a scholarship to go to college. Get my degree in which I'd be the first of my family to do so. Become an All-American. Get drafted and go to the NFL. Buy my mom a house and take care of her for the rest of her life. Become an All-Pro. Go to the Super Bowl and own my own business. I wrote that out at 12 years old. I wasn't even on a football team yet. I was, I was begging my mom to let me play. I loved the game of football. You know, I grew up Pentecostal. We weren't supposed to look at sports. We weren't supposed to be anything, yeah, anywhere yeah. near sports. Yeah, yeah. My sisters couldn't even wear makeup, and they needed makeup. <laughs> <laughs> they needed makeup. <laughs> we, we, we won't put this one on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them still bigger than me now. I got to watch myself. Yeah. <laughs> Getting comfortable. No, but, um, you know, one by one, those things came to pass. But not without... Not, not without pointing a finger, not, not without people getting in my face and challenging me about what I wrote. Hmm. Um, I got two different expressions. One was, who do you think you are? You know, you're, you're the youngest, you're the smallest, you're the least talented. You think you have a chance to do this? What are you thinking? And the other response was just, Really? <laughs> well, good luck. 
But you know, it's, it's, uh, the thing about life is you have to believe. You know, I was listening to the song. I love the, the, the song, Believe. Yeah. Um, but you got to believe. And there's something inside all of us. There, there's something inside each and every one of us that's really, really amazing, really wonderful that, that we have this gift that we can share. If we find it and we have the courage to tap into it, it is amazing what we can do. Mm. And, and I remember all throughout my career having guys walk beside me that were bigger than me and faster than me, and they kept trying to figure out, I should be able to beat you out, man. I should be, I should be the linebacker here, mm -hmm. not you. And I was still trying to help them. But you know what? That's, that's the difference. Are you willing to step out and be different? And, and that's one of the concerns that I have, and I'll, move, I'll, let you, I'll let you move on. That's one of the biggest concerns that I have today. Preach it. with social media, a lot of leaders, they don't want to be wrong. They, they don't want to be pointed out. They don't want to be laughed at. They don't want anyone to come up and, and, and say something different. Well, let me tell you something. They do not determine your path. They do not mm. determine what yes. God has put in you. They don't even know you. And if you let them quieten your voice, you may miss the opportunity of a lifetime it's a sad thing to get to heaven and God, and you say to God, Lord, I, I wanted to be this, I wanted to do that. Yeah. I was waiting. I gave it to you. But you never took the steps. You never called on me. How can I give what you're not believing for? Preach it, brother. Preach it. So, so what, so, you know, why then, why was there not a dynasty from the 85 Bears? You had all the talent, best, best, the best defense ever. What, I mean, you know, how, how does it not keep going? So there's, it's one thing to believe that you can get there and it's another one to maintain it while you are there. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that it happens or it can happen when we begin to believe that we're the reason for the success. Mm. You know, I, I realize that there's nothing great about me that I did. It, it's all... It's all of the wonderful things that the Lord put in me that I begin to act on. And when I begin to think that it's me, that really takes a lot of pressure off me. All I'm doing is just acting on what I already have. So as long as I don't take the credit for it, I'm going to continue to succeed. 
But the minute I begin to take the credit and the minute I begin to let my head just get all bigger than it is, then I'm going to have a problem. I'm, I'm going to crash and I'm going to burn. And that's exactly what happened to us. Each and every player in that room, Jim McMahon, Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael, Otis, Wilbur, Dent, Walter, all of us, from the coaches down, Every one of us begin to think that we were the reason for the success. And when you do that, you, you, you're building yourself up for the fall. Mm. And, you know, many times I would like to think that I was better than that, that I was bigger than that. And I could easily blame it on Coach Dicker and Buddy Ryan. Sure. It's like, Mike, where were you? Yeah. I have to ask the question, where, where were you? Well, I, I was getting mine too. If you, um, if you had had a word for the parents in here today, because there's a, there's a, there was a time when you got out of football and you thought you wanted to go into coaching, and you made a. Uh, another monumental decision that most people don't make. Most people don't make the decision to believe that, that God's given them something and they don't work hard to follow their dream. Most people, when they get to that dream, they don't keep it going. They don't, they don't keep working. They start believing their own press. And most people, when it gets to that point where you have all those things, it's hard to let go of. And you did that. Talk about, uh, talk about stepping away from... Football, really kind of completely, even though you were going to go into coaching. Well, it was my, my last year in the league, and uh, I decided before the season that I'm, I'm done. And, uh, but I, was, I, I really felt strongly about coaching afterwards because it, it was natural for me because I had so many wonderful coaches that really filled the gap when my dad left. Right. And so I'm thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm going to coach. And as we headed toward the end of the season, you know, Kim was pregnant with our fourth child at that time. And we went to a, a benefit or a dinner or something. I, I was getting some kind of award. And it was the first time that I'd really seen this and really noticed it. But at the end of the program, everybody came up to me and they kind of pushed Kim to the side. And for the first time, I saw her pregnant. And I'm standing there with the people and, and they're telling me how great I am. And, and a couple of them went to Kim and said, aren't you so lucky to be married to him? It's <laughs> bad timing. <laughs> no. So... I'm just imagining my wife in that situation. Not, not good. Not I, bet, good. I bet Kim handled it better than Denise would have, honestly. Um, so I, um, it, it really cautioned me. It hit me hard because for the first time I, I saw in her eyes resentment. And um, I thought, Wow. So I made a decision to ask about five different head coaches around the league, how did they become 
uh, a great father, a great husband, and a great coach. And every one of those coaches put their heads down and said, Mike, you got to marry a great woman. You got to marry a strong woman. If you're going to coach, she's going to have to raise those kids. And you're going to coach. So coming from a, a broken home and knowing that I had already taken up so much time for myself, I mean, for 12 years, you know, Kim is telling me, Mike, you're here, but you're not here. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. What do you mean? I, I, I am here. You know, I, I watch film. I, I'm watching film with Buddy, and then I come home. Now, it may be 7 or 8 o'clock, but, but I'm here. Well, the kids are ready to go to bed. So I, I ended up buying the equipment from Hallis Hall and, and bringing it home. And I come, came home early, but I'm still in the room. And, you know, a couple of the kids would come in there, and I'm like, hey, sit down. Don't move. I'm looking at this. And so Kim said, now it's like you're coming home, but you're yelling at them. They haven't seen you all day, and you haven't even talked to them. And you're, Mike. And I'm like, what do you want? So when you think about that, if I had gone into coaching, there's no doubt in my mind that, that we would be divorced. And I wouldn't know who my kids were, and they certainly wouldn't know me. Now, I'd have trophies on, on the wall. I'd, I'd have all kind of blacks. I'd have all kind of everything, but I wouldn't have them. I wouldn't have, you know, my most important job is being a husband and being yes. a father. Yeah. And if I mess up at that, nothing else that I do matters. Yeah. I got to get that right. And so that was a great time for me to take a step back and really, really look at my priorities and, and think about how do I end well. And so did not coach, and, and I came home, and, and I was dad. <laughs> samurai I was dad. dad. Yeah, samurai dad, and, right? And uh, Kim was not excited about that either. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, get up! We're going to go for a walk. Dad, we went for a walk yesterday. Hey, don't you start that. We're going to go on a walk. We come back. Hey, get up. We're going to go do this. Dad, didn't we do that yesterday? Hey, stop it. Quiet. Listen. So Kim had to coach me on how to be a yeah, dad. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> you're a little intense. I could, I could, I could see that being a, a bit a of an bit. issue. A little bit. Um, but, I mean, that's why I love your story so much, you know. I'm going to set my mind on a direction. I'm going to lean into what God has given me to do. I'm going to do it well. And then when that comes to the place where I want it to, I'm not going to let it go to my head. And I'm going to, I'm going to focus on being the person that I need to be. And then stepping away from that, I mean, to, 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 to not go follow your dream and to raise your kids and to do that. As you said, you're, when you look back, on your legacy, when, when you're in heaven watching the replay of your life, it's going to be remarkable how little the 85 Bears had to do with anything, right? Absolutely. And how much more your life of faith, your life as an example to people and especially to your family was absolutely everything that absolutely. you were supposed to be about. I mean, that, that's just inspiring to me. I, I, I told him this. Yeah, you can clap for that.
And of course, we're both just old grandpas now, and you know, now we get to have the fun part of being with the grandkids and, and, and leaning into them and leading them, and that's a whole different chapter, isn't it? I mean, it, that, you're probably not samurai grandpa, are you? I'm not samurai grandpa. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out because <clears throat> my wife and I have a different opinion on this. Okay, sorry to bring that up, Kim. Sorry. <laughs> You know, I, I tell my kids, okay, guys, we raised you. And, and so don't get excited about just dropping the kids off and going and doing your thing and then come back. We're, we're, Mom and I are not going to be here rocking in the chair waiting <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> I love you, the kids. I love the grandkids. But we raised our kids. And I want you to raise your kids, and we'll let you know when we want them. <laughs> oh, man. You want to know what's... No, 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 get it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working at it. I'm working at it. But, you know, the kids are like, boom, yeah, boom, yeah, boom, yeah. boom. So, wait a minute. Now, we're outnumbered here, okay? Oh, yeah, you got a bunch. We got nine of them so far. We got, we're going to have 11 of them I when know, summer's over. I know, that's so awesome. So, we got we to figure this out. You want to know what's funny about this, Kim? Um, we, my wife and I are, have the same discussion, except I'm you and she's him. I just want, I want the kids <laughs> to be around all the time, and my wife's like, hey, hang on a second. Um, I need to meet your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, it, it always works that way. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, you've got a heart for uh, Chicago. Uh, you've got a heart for the inner city. I mean, wherever it is, uh, South Side, Chicago, a lot like where you grew up. And, and uh, I mean, we've talked about this, but coming through the last couple of years and, and you know, it doesn't look like politics is going to solve the problem. So um, what, what's your input on that and how, how can we help? You know, I... Um First of all, I've got a heart for people. I really do. Um, because uh, even though I know that there are a lot of people on the south side and the west side that are hurting, there are also people on the north side, a lot of people on the north side that are hurting, mm -hmm. but in a different way. And um, for me, being able to have a police officer drive me around the south side and the west side and really see what was happening. You know, I went back home um, after that drive. I went, I went, flew back to Dallas, and I, I couldn't sleep. And I said, you know, I, I got to do something. Mm. Um, when I think about, when I think about our country, I always try to not look at things that you know the media shows or whatever, but to really get to the root of it. I always want to go to the heart Absolutely. of it. And I think when our country started and all of our, our forefathers were trying to figure out how do, we, how do we grow this country? How does America become great? And they set all the standards in place. And, you know, we are the home of the free and the brave. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a group of people that were not free. You know, somebody had to do the work. And it just so happened that it was the, the, the blacks, the African, that, that, that came here. And, but when you take a step back and look at it, how are you going to build a country 
without it. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it'd be very easy to say, well, they, they could have done this. They could have done, well, you know what? I, I, I don't, I'm not so smart that I could figure all of that out, but I know that I'm not too much better. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's just a matter of, so what do you do now? Um, and when you look at any large city and you look at, all of them have a south side. And they all look the same. And, and those people migrated from the south. They just came up here looking for a better life. And when they didn't get it, they just put them on, on, on the south side of every big city mm. and said, stay there. Don't move. And so those people are there and they, they've got all these feelings and they got, it's not like they got better. Well, it's been, you know, they're not slaves anymore. They're, you know, they, they, they have freedom. They have this. They have that. But they don't have access. They, they didn't get education. Right. They, they didn't get those things. When, when, when freedom came in other places around the world, they educated them because they didn't want them to be a liability in society. We didn't do it here. So when you don't educate them, what do they do? You think they get smarter? No, they don't. So when I, when I take a step back and I look at it, whose fault is it? You know what? Who are you going to blame? Yeah, it doesn't matter. The only thing we can do right now is to look at it, take it for what it is, and say, you know what? Let's make something different. Let's not sing the same song. Let's find a way to help them mm -hmm begin to feel good about who they are. How do we do that? Do we give them things? I can't tell you how many calls I got after the George Floyd situation. Say, we, we, need to, we, we need to put millions of dollars into the poor neighborhoods. I said, don't do that. That's the worst thing you could do. Exactly. That exacerbates the problem. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. What you do is provide goods and services, put them in a place so they can earn them. Absolutely. For the first time, let them earn something yeah. to feel good about who they are. And you know, the, the dumb thing about this, Mike, is that we've learned that doing missions in other countries. You know, it used to be go throw money at it. And I mean, we've spent a half a trillion, we've given over a half a trillion dollars in aid to Africa, and it has done absolutely nothing because we haven't fixed the problem. So now we've adopted the country of Malawi and we're involved in training pastors and working through churches and we're not giving anything. We're building a well every once in a while when they need water, but that's the answer. It's not, it's not throw money at it. It's not the welfare system. It's, it's trying to help them figure out how to help themselves. There's a great book out called When, when Helping Hurts. That's a simple title for it. And if you do too much for your kids or for anybody else, you know, you can do too much and it hurts them from, you know, I mean, part of why you are who you are is because people didn't give you handouts. You had to work for it. I, I appreciate that. Well, yeah. At the end of the day, um, that's where we have to go as a country. And um, when we begin to see that, when we begin to educate our people, all of our people, um, then, you know, maybe we have a chance to be the America that our forefathers really thought and talked about one day. Yeah. Give us a uh, parting word. Um, 
about faith, about there's a bunch of people out here who um, showed up because you're Mike Singletary and they wanted to, they wanted to see you. What would, what would you tell them about your journey with Jesus and your journey of faith? I, I, I think what, what I would say, having the opportunity, um, I would say this. You know, we, we all, after the pandemic, we're, we're all over the place. And uh, we don't know what to believe. We don't really know where to start. We're really just trying to, to, to get our feet back up under us again as a country. And, and um, social media is not helping a lot. Mm-hmm. My challenge would be for a society that's really paralyzed right now and, and just beginning to come out again, uh, waiting for the next thing to fall. Um, Believe that there is a God and he loves you and he created you. And there's something very, very special about you. And if you're willing to find it, if you're willing to dig deep for it and know that he wants to come inside and show you the way, show you what he has for you, show you all of the great things in life that he has for those coming after you. Yeah, I I believe that it's all in the vine. If I can get to the vine, because that's where the fruit is, that's where the love is, if I can do that, then I've got a chance. I, I've got a chance to really, really make a difference mm. in the world that I live in. Really, really make a difference and begin to be proactive about my life. Thank you. And not let things happen to me, but make them happen for the right reasons mm. for God. Would you, uh, would you pray us out? Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for giving me hope. I thank you for sending your son to die in my place. Mm-hmm. I thank you, Lord, that you created me special. You created me to make a difference. And Father, I just ask that you give me the strength to call upon your name and realize that greatness is in me. It's just a matter of believing that it's there. And you put it there. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Let's hear it from Mike, huh? Thank you, brother. Fantastic again, my friend.